Hello and welcome to episode 79 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Anthony Malakian. I'm the U.S. Editor of Waters and as always I'm joined by James Rundle, News Editor of Waters. Hey everyone. So uh, in a little bit we're going to talk about some IBM news that's been that came out this week and just kind of some of their larger plans for the financial services space. And then we're going to turn our attention to MIFID II and some of the concerns uh, raised by uh, an FCA official at, uh, at a MIFID II briefing that we had, that Waters had in London earlier this uh, week. And then uh, we'll wrap things up uh, talking about Game of Thrones. Don't worry, there will be spoilers, but we'll give you pre-warning before we get into any of that. Um, but before we get into any of that, uh, on uh, the homepage, waterstechnology.com, We've put up the winners of this year's Waters rankings uh, vote. Um, in case you're not as familiar, the, those categories are voted on by our end users. Um, no PR firms, consultancies, or whatever are allowed to vote in it. Um, and so each winner, it's you know, kind of a uh, popularity contest. So go and check it out there. Um, 30 categories, um, and then we had an event yesterday in New York that I only mildly screwed up on it's stage. That's fine. Yeah, you know. Um, so I guess uh, the, the first thing we'll get into is about IBM. Uh, they had a couple um, interesting news announcements. Uh, start with your story first or my story first? Yeah. Uh, do the blockchain one first. Sure. Blockchain? All right. So um, James wrote this one, uh, Borsa Italia. Italiana, sorry. Um, um, but <laughs> <laughs> they have a uh, put up a proof of concept um, with, uh, using uh, IBM, Borsa Italiana, and uh, uh, proof of concept uh, built using Hyperledger Fabric, as uh, Jim wrote, and he'll get into in just a second here. Uh, the project aims to create a registry of shareholder transactions on a on, on the distributed ledger technology layer. Um, can you maybe get into what's the point of this? Yeah. Um, so the idea behind this, uh, so I spoke to the emerging technologies team at the LSE, which is kind of their um, innovation skunk works type unit that just looks at new technologies. Yeah, Borsa Italia is owned by uh, the London Stock Exchange. Yeah, so the LSE owns Borsa Italiana, it owns Monte Totoli, the uh, Social Security Depository, it owns the Clearinghouse CCNG. Um, so it's got the whole kind of stack of the infrastructure is owned by the LSE in mm -hmm. Italy. Um, what the idea of this is, it apparently is very much led out of Borsa Italiana, um, was that they were looking at blockchain technology. Uh, they've been contributors to Hyperledger Fabric for a long time. And they saw an opportunity to look at the, the small to medium-sized enterprise space, uh, which is all still very much paper-based, um, quite efficient. It's hard to get information about you know, who owns what and everything else. Mm -hmm. And they thought, well, let's slap a blockchain on it. Um, not quite as probably as glib as that, but, uh, you know, there <laughs> are two. Stop blockchain on it. Done. Blockchain on it. Yeah, it's done. Let's put blockchain on it. Um, the idea being that that can sort of quickly digitize the space. Um, so, therefore, you have much more transparency. It will help with capital raising small companies, which uh, at the moment is quite sort of relatively underserved in the country, I guess. Um, so, yeah, they've partnered with IBM for it. Um, they, I did ask them why you needed a blockchain for it. And they gave him a response of, well, don't think of it as a technology thing. Think of it as a business model thing instead, which <laughs> seems to be the kind of default thing. That yeah. You say, okay, like, right, fine, but why do you need a blockchain? Yeah. Uh, so I don't really get a very good answer to that, but uh, <laughs> rather than any sort of existing technologies that can do it. But you know what? It's an interesting use case. Um, rather than just yet another blockchain PAC, this actually has like benefits to the real economy. Um, so I guess 
and the significance is actually if they actually manage to do it and they're just doing a PSC now it's just an experiment there's no guarantee it'll go into uh, to production um, but it could be you know quite effective I guess really sure it's going under initial testing right now um, I just kind of veer a little bit off topic you know, today I was actually talking with uh, Mike McGovern who's uh, was CIO uh, Brown Brothers Harriman, and now he's heading up Brown Brothers Harriman's um, kind of fintech unit that they have there. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was just kind of throwing at him. I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm skeptical of blockchain stuff like that. But you know, are you an evangelist? You know, what do you think about it? And he's like, uh, he's like, I'm a blockchain optimist. Uh, so he says that there's not a lot right now that you can actually point to. Um, but he says, look down the horizon, 20 or 30 years, so a long horizon here. Yeah. That's where it will become a ubiquitous piece of financial uh, services, just the same way the internet, you know, is kind of this underpinning kind of technology, whatever you want to call it, I guess, uh, service model. Um, so on this, it seems like right now this is just another in a long line of quote unquote proof of concepts. A lot of uh, 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 companies in, a, in the space exchange level, especially. Are trying to experiment with different kind of ways um but we're still a while away is that fair to yeah, say i think yeah and that's kind of uh, what mike mcgovern said to you was kind of i guess in line with what david harris who runs the emerging tech team at lse said to me you know he was just like look if, if trying to think of it so sort of singly blockchain itself is not going to change anything like mm-hmm. the actual blockchain is besides the point think of it more broadly look down the line think of where it could be applied to change things around and digitize things as the internet did for a lot of you know businesses and that kind of thing so that's where you're going to see the the actual um impact of things later on and at the moment it's still very early there's a lot of experimentation going on there's a lot of sort of tinkering here and there to see where it can be applied and where it can't be um nobody is going to bring up the system to end all systems tomorrow but he said you know you'll start to see bits and pieces of it down the line affecting business models i guess that's kind of the, you know we're laughing about but that's kind of yeah. the point really sure yeah. and that's our article is called uh london stock exchange uh, partners ibm on blockchain for smes um we'll link to it as well in uh, the piece it coincides uh, with the piece that i wrote um so ibm has put out um version uh 14 z14 of its um ibm uh, z mainframe mm-hmm. and a big piece of this is uh, what's called IBM Z pervasive encryption. And what they are touting with this is that it encrypts all data all the time at every level of the network. And the encryption process happens even while the application is running. Transactions are happening with no impact on uh, service level agreement. So no slowdown there. So any slowdown will be behind the end. There will be latencies, obviously but you as the user won't notice it um, while you're completing your transaction. And this stuff is happening like at like a hardware level, right? Now. Yes, That's at the so hardware software, level. Yeah. And so it's baked into to the mainframe. Really, really interesting. Um, and the way the, the way that this probably makes most sense for the industry is, you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, smaller firms, even like, you know, modest sized hedge funds and, you know, smaller investment banks, stuff like that, tier two, tier three, are built into the mainframe game how much they're invested in the mainframe game mm-hmm. for your largest companies for your biggest banks your largest uh, hedge funds asset managers that um very much um are still using ibm mainframes well, these are real high-tech guys right yeah, yeah. The, you know this might be what gets you to upgrade from you know z13 or even z12 you know whatever kind of one you're on to 
make that jump now and pay that extra cost of going up to Z14. I asked them how much would it cost in the difference. They're like, it's a different thing for everybody. You know, so obviously mm-hmm. if you have good agreements, yeah, it's going to be a better price. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, it's certain, I mean, encryption on a mass scale is incredibly tough. Um, as they were saying, um, basically, if you want to go and do that, you know, you have to be able to uh, identify and classify all your sensitive da- data, very manual process that is. Um, decide where the encryption is happening. Is it happening in the hardware, the operating system, or bolting on a point solution? Um, and then uh, figuring out who runs this, who owns this uh, encryption keys. You know, you, sometimes it will happen on a regulation by leg regulation basis um, it, or on application by application. Well, right? so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's could be a revolutionary thing. Most firms uh, don't encrypt most of their data, just the most important stuff. Um, so th- there's a lot of different interesting aspects about it. Uh, the article is IBM debuts full encryption with Z14 mainframe release worth looking at. But for our purpose, you can read those articles and get all the information on that. For this conversation, I guess, to really get into it is it's interesting what IBM is doing as a whole in the financial services. So yeah, been killing it this year as well, actually. I mean, so, you know. so many huge announcements. So... Mid-June, um, they announced uh, th- basically their attack on uh, RegTech and mm-hmm. trying to stake their claim as the RegTech you know, kind of vendor in the space um, using uh, Watson regulatory compliance and promontory professionals to kind of team up to tackle a wide range of regulation needs. Yep. Um, on top of that, you have um, it's going to – IBM will be creating and managing the data pace – database that's going to underpin the consolidated audit trail, the CAT, uh, run by, uh, which is going to be built by Thesis. Um, so they're going to be doing that whole database underpinning, which if this CAT does get up and running, still no guarantee that it will. But if it does, they will be the the main hardware provider of of that uh, huge, hugely important um, uh piece of technology or whatever you want to call it you know and that's huge as well because it's not just then ibm doing reg tech and doing this cool little stuff around compliance and the rest of it. they're actually providing the, the underpinning technology for regulatory apparatus and that's yeah. very different to just being a reg tech vendor i think it's a it's a fascinating little journey they've had going i think it's, it's incredible a, c- a couple i talked to a couple of you know people just about this just off the cuff and my theory on it is that They've fallen so far behind your Amazon, and I've talked a little bit about this before uh, when we talk about IBM, but they've fallen so far behind AWS, you know, Google Cloud Platform is making some major inroads um, into the financial services space. Azure already has a big presence because of its workflow uh, series of solutions and stuff like that, that they were like, all right, we have to figure out how are we going to target rather than just trying to say okay we're going to be your analytics provider in the cloud and stuff like that the way google aws does we're going to run you know your press your 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 web page whatever it is um your platforms uh in the cloud they're now saying let's target on regulation and try and you know figure out you know with the industry utilities stuff like that really start to make our case case on the blockchain end of it the regulation end of it and then obviously the capcom third piece of it and you th- through it, you will be using their IBM cloud increasingly, mm-hmm. and that will help them to catch up with the likes of GCP, uh, yeah. Microsoft, or AWS. Um, 
I don't know. That's the way I see it going forward. Yeah, and they got a leg up in the space as well, I guess, because if you look at their competitors in terms of Microsoft and Amazon and everything else, very focused, very advanced companies, but they also have a heavy consumer element to it as well. IBM doesn't necessarily have that to an extent. International yeah. business machines, right? Yeah. That's the name of it. So if they are investing so heavily in the space uh, and they're now starting to catch up with their rivals, there's quite a potential overtake. Yeah, so I mean, I I can't remember my you know. So I've been here eight nine years now. I can't remember a company having a stretch like this of major, really big, yeah. interesting technology announcements like this. Um, so it's a quite impressive movement that they have right now, and it'll be interesting to see what they have uh, in store for later on in the year on in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, sure. Um, moving along, the other piece of interesting news um, for us, uh, exclusive for us. Um, we had uh, Waters had an event in London at the, I think, the Mayfair, Mayfield? The Mayfair Hotel, Mayfair yeah. Hotel um, called uh, Mifid 2, What You Need to Know, yeah. something like that. It was it like was a, a breakfast briefing. Breakfast yeah. briefing, yeah. And speaking at it was Stephen Hanks, uh, the, uh, who is um, market policy manager at the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA. And... Uh, he spoke about how the transaction trade reporting requirements in MIFID two are causing concern at the FCA that people aren't quite um, that firms aren't ready for it, and he urged firms to make a decision about their uh, approved reporting mechanisms, arms, and approved publication arrangement APA providers soon. Yeah. Um, that's obviously how it happened, John. So that did that article was written by our colleague uh, Joe Faulkner. Uh, who works on the data titles, and then John uh, Brazier had also written something similar about that earlier in the year. But yeah, so this is the interesting thing. So Stephen um, has spoken at a few of our events this year. He spoke at Byside Europe, I think, uh, and another event in March. And just looking at his comments, you can see the change in tenor from the beginning. In March, I think he was very much like, yeah, look, guys, we sympathize. The FCA knows that it's tough. Mm -hmm. uh, European regulators haven't released their final schema for the reporting and what have you. You've got to kind of make a guess of it, really. But we, uh, we understand, we sympathize. Then in May, it was like, well, okay, look, we're expecting you guys to do something about this, but you know, we're not going to come down on you like a ton of bricks if you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, we just want to see that you're actually trying to do something. It's the ones who aren't doing anything who we're going to get in trouble with. And now in uh, July, you're seeing them saying, right, now we're starting to We're all going to die! Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you fuckers are not doing anything. <laughs> you know? So uh, it's, it's starting to get to the point now where I think where th this is... When it came to EMEA reporting back in 2014, I remember the FCA was very lenient with a lot of people for months afterwards. Sure. Um, and that was because that was an absolute um, shower, like the way that came together. This, with MIFID 2, what you have to remember is it's already been delayed by a year because everyone moaned that they couldn't get their stuff ready in time. They had some sympathetic ears in the European Parliament, and yeah, it got moved by a year. Mm. It should have been in place for six months already. Uh, for, sorry, for seven months already. We're now in July. Um, now I think people are less inclined to give as much leeway as they were before, saying, right, we've had an extra year, we know that Europe has been slow in getting the final details of this out, but come on, guys, like, it's not far away. Um, and, you know, we've said this before, but every day we get emails from consultancies going, 23% of firms were not ready for MIFID 2, or 86% of firms are going to die in a chip pan fire on <laughs> January the 3rd. And it's hard to have sympathy for them. Like, yeah, okay, look, I get it. You know, the... The final details of what ESMA once reported and what the European Commission wants didn't come out until June, I don't think. Um, and the FCA kind of only released its final policy last month as well. 
it doesn't leave a lot of time, but this is something that has to be done. And if the FCA is now turning around and going, we are actually quite seriously concerned about this, then that, I would imagine, would be a warning shot across the bow of the industry saying, right, guys, come on. You've got long. Do it. Um, yeah. If you're making efforts to do it, we're not going to come down to you immediately, but we expect it to be done, and there's not going to be the same kind of leading as it was around derivatives reporting. So get on with it. I think that uh, one of the other interesting things in uh, Joe Faulkner's uh, write-up was that um, Hanks, Chirais, uh, uh, also noted the FCA is having to devote a lot of resources to responding to questions about uh, LEI's legal entity identifiers, mm. despite the current, quote-unquote, no LEI, no trade stance that requires all entities trading with European counterparties across all asset classes to obtain the identifiers store them in the reporting system and put the necessary maintenance procedures in place to ensure leis are renewed on a timely basis if firms try to execute a trade then obtain an lei before submitting their trade report the report will be rejected this is something that's you know i, I inside reference data has been writing a lot about yeah, leis and stuff like that on. i mean it's, it's saying that you know i don't it, that there doesn't seem to be a ton of movement in that area i i, I it's one of those things that doesn't seem like there's it's really any great thing. struck me as like make work to some extent. I'm, yeah, I could be totally wrong about this, but it's an identifier. It's not rocket science at the end of the day. I know <laughs> it's a lot more complex than I'm making out, but this has been going on for years and years and years, discussed by the same group of people in the same little niche of this market, and it seems just, uh, like I said, like make work in a lot of ways. But look, if you can devise trading systems that can trade fast in the blink of an eye, millions of times a day, and you can make money off it, you can't sort out a goddamn identifier. Really? Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really the like simplest. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how long is it taking to make this happen? And it, I just, it seems like I think five years from now, we're going to still be writing the same it's stories like on this. It's a 24 character or whatever alphanumeric string. Like, yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, there comes a point, I think, where you have to be sympathetic with the industry to an extent. But then you also have to realize a lot of these guys just leave it to the very last minute. Yeah. And then they turn around and go, what, by me? Why am I being picked on? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Um, so not the most sympathetic stars, but uh, it, you've had time. So that article, again, FCA worried by lack of readiness for MIFID II reporting. Go check it out. Joe's got some good stuff there. Um, you know, uh, figure, you know, we, we could talk more about technology, but quite frankly, you know, we had the waters rankings yesterday, it's been and a then long week. <laughs> it's been a long week. We had the three separate things this week, and then Jim and I went to this awesome bar last night uh, called yeah. the Jeffrey on um, Upper East Side, I guess would be the neighborhood, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of yeah, the most inaccessible location over near Second yeah. Avenue and uh, yeah. 60th Street, but right underneath yeah. the, the bridge One there. Hell but of a bar, though, as oh you can God. probably hear in our voices today, <laughs> some of the best beers you could try, like KCBC uh, Hill Farmstead was there. Uh, uh, Prairie, uh, there's so many, so many good choices. Yeah. Um, not, actually, you're not, not that expensive, really. I know it was pricey, but it wasn't hugely pricey. I mean, for the there. kind of beers that you're getting there, yeah. those are some really high-quality beers. So we highly recommend that. But yeah. figure we'll just end this up by talking about Game of Thrones. Yes, let's do that. If you so haven't watched, then you know, just turn us off if you haven't already after we talked about Mifid 2 and LEIs. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many people well, stayed look, apparently on. Apparently we didn't put people off by ranting about Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> yeah. We actually got some compliments on it weirdly from people I guess yeah. who are trying to suck up to us. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, so that means more politics coming to you yeah, in yeah, uh, so later you, uh, episodes. You reap what you sow, guys. <laughs> as with Mifid, as with politics and the Waters Wavelength podcast. Um, Game of Thrones, what do you think? So, first time I watched it, I was incredibly drunk. Uh, Sundays are Sunday fun day for me. They're pool There's a pattern here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I shoot pool on Sundays in the city uh, for a bar called uh, Barflies, part of uh, a league. 
And, you know, we usually just have a very good time. You know, it starts at about 4 o'clock, ends at about, you know, 9 usually. So you need a prop to justify it, man. That's cool. Yeah, I have, <laughs> hey, you got to have reasons. You got to have reasons. It's making friends, man. So I don't. I, I remember I watched it um, at that at home when I got home from pool. Next day, you know, Jim and Dandy Francesco, former uh, former host here. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking about oh, yo, this happened. This happened. I go. I don't remember any of this happening. <laughs> so I did have to watch it again. I think on like it was Wednesday. I ended up finally getting to watch it again, and now I at least have some understanding of it. I think the biggest controversy to come out of it, though, is the dumbest thing in the whole world, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Blood Nut, whatever his name is. Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. Apologies for any ginger people. That <laughs> <laughs> I actually call you Blood Nut sometimes. But, um, I'm quite tired. <laughs> Everybody flipped out because apparently he was a minstrel uh, for the Lannisters. Well, that was what was so incongruous about it was the fact that they couldn't just have Ed Sheeran there and that would be okay you know Ed Sheeran wants to come and dress up in some Lannister armor be a little pretend soldier sure I don't care there have been other random cameos in uh, GOT yeah exactly the whole thing's essentially a cameo for the British film industry right and um, like but what took me out of it and what was so incongruous was it just started off with singing I didn't know he was going to be in this episode I just heard that voice and I instantly just went like, is that fucking Ed it is it fucking <laughs> is Ed Sheeran right? look at him Look at his stupid face and that thing. <laughs> and it just took Poor me Poor man. The guy's taking a beating on Twitter. He's like, I don't know why people hate me so much. It's like, I, don't so I actually, I read an interview the other day where um, he came across really well. He was, the, the interviewer says, you know, you've had this massive rocket to uh, stardom. You've got all this money. What did you do? He goes, well, I did what any other lad would do. Sure, what's that? He goes, I built a bar in my house. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> okay, fair enough. There you okay, go. Okay, that's cool. Just stay the fuck out of Game of Thrones, right? Because so, it's just weird. Um, I'm going to stop swearing. So <laughs> <laughs> really Again, it's been a long week. <laughs> I, I had this one because I, I remember the last time we talked about Game of Thrones in the podcast, I hadn't seen season six. Um, because I always had some stupid idea I was going to wait for the books to come up and then realised oh, I'd be dead. It'll never happen, yeah. Um, so I watched season six and then do you remember that bit where Arya has to kill that uh, actress? In season six, yes, it's her first yes. assignment, and then it's the other actress. Who yeah, who was poisoned. Yeah, she's my, my sister's best friend, like her old flatmates. Like, I oh, no kidding. didn't realize until I kind of like my sister's an actress. Um, I saw her in there, I was like, that took me out of it as well. I was like, okay, well, that was a one off. And then Ed Sheeran comes along and does it to me again. So, but apart from that, episode was really cool. Yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a good setting up episode because the end of last season was very tense. Um, so this did a good job of just kind of setting up what the pieces are going to be for the rest of the season. Um, the other th- for me, the biggest thing, like Jon Snow, I can't stand him. Yep. I've always hated him. I I've wish he was. Him, I yeah. wanted him dead. You know, maybe it's because my girlfriend has a huge crush on uh, Kit Harrington like or whatever. Yeah, he's always, <laughs> always pouty. Always makes the wrong decisions. Um, who's uh, the redhead? Uh, the, his sister, stepsister. Uh, what's her name? Oh, Sansa. Sansa. Yeah. The yeah. two most irritating Starks, like yeah. literally emo Stark and Ginger Stark. Yeah, and, and they're the ones who survive. You know, and they're going to be the ones that are just going to now have this stupid battle where I'll bet anything going to come down to where John's supposed to give his. They hate each other. They're going to start hating each other, and then John want to give his life. I don't know whatever. Well, there was that thing, wasn't there, with the uh, uh, where what's his face? Is it Bran Stark, the one who's the mental psychic kid? Yeah, yeah, Warg. He, uh, the Warg. That's it. Yeah. Um, where he um nerd, <laughs> <laughs> where he went back in time and then heard that thing being whispered into uh, like his 
younger father zoo or something. Yeah. Like everyone's kind of like wondering whether that means that him and Daenerys are actually related. Yeah. So d- yeah, I think that's what you know. So Jon Snow is you know he would have been killed otherwise mm-hmm. because th- then they made that clear because they immediately they show the baby's face and then they switch to Jon Snow's face of adult. Yeah. You know, yeah so I mean, it's still, it's like a man-sized child. So it's yeah. So her, him and Daenerys will end up forming some weird incestuous alliance like that you always have on Game of Thrones. It's a big on it. George R. A couple of things that also don't, not bother me. It's not important. But where the hell did Bran Stark's nursemaid get that sled from? Because the last I saw it, they were on the back of a horse being dropped off by his uncle. Yeah. His dead uncle. And then, yeah, she's just really good at carrying him around everywhere, you know, <laughs> going through the <laughs> snow. I don't care if you're the mountain. Going through this this massive snowdrifts on this rickety little thing carrying around Bran, no chance. No chance. Suspension of disbelief busted right there, well, what man. What did she do? Did she hack down a tree and whittle it herself? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just like it's the old days, man. You're north of the wall. You're just, uh, You're just industrious. Yeah. yeah, okay, the practical people. Secondly, that scene with the phrase is really cool. I really mm-hmm. liked it. Um, and I love the fact that uh, Arya Stark, apart from the occasional Ed Sheeran interludes, going around kicking ass all over Westeros right now. Sure. I don't get how she appears as tall as Walder Frey, and then the mass just kind of stays the same way. I, I know we're doing a show that deals with like zombies and everything like that. And yeah. That's some disbelief, but that's something. That and they're ripping off their faces. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. But that's a great point. And the Mission Impossible style kind of reveal, but like you know, yeah, that's, that's something I've always wondered about. Is it magic? I guess it is. And I wonder if, like, uh, when John Travolta and uh, Nicolas Cage watched this and, like, for everybody, like, <laughs> everybody's like, ah, oh, the movie Face Off, it's it's like a stupid classic. But, you know, it's like, you see, we were ahead of the time here. Now you yeah. guys all believe in people ripping faces off, so you're cool with this now. Um, I'm Nicolas Cage. I'm ahead of the curve. <laughs> see, I hate, I hate all the Starks. Only good Stark is a dead Stark, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So Arya, again, she couldn't do her job right. She couldn't do her job right. They go teach her this skill, this craft, this ancient, important craft. And what does she go and do? She just goes and screws off and just yeah, says, cheers, yeah, this is, yeah. Laser. I'm yeah. just going to now take all your secrets and uh, just go do my own thing. That's not how it that. works. She yeah. deserves a knife in her back from uh, the, uh, the, the, I don't even know if she has a name, the girl that has no name that was beating her ass the whole time oh, the, during the training. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, um, again, Tywin Lannister is my all-time favorite uh, character on uh, the show. Yeah. Tywin, uh, so Tywin, Tyrion. not yeah. Tyrion. Tyrion oh, really? is, yeah. so normally people say Tyrion. Tywin. Really annoying, actually. Yeah, I mean, Tywin is like, he cared about his family, and that's all he cared about. He'd do anything for him. Everything else just fall into shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, it's a shame. He should have just been, you know, the ruler of the kingdom, and no, everything would have been fine. Yeah. would have had peace in this world, so. Could have been king. Should have yeah. been king. Yeah, should have been. Yeah. Sad. Uh, um, I'm looking forward to the season though. Should be good. Everyone's gonna die, I assume. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that is the way it works now. At least they're moving it along, unlike with uh, George R. Just slowly, you know, releasing like, things. Yeah, I'll let you guys do it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give like, me my notes. Yeah, I just like I just created this massive, intricate world, and uh, screw it. I just I, I'm done with it. You guys just figure it out. And uh, I mean, the only thing I, I see is like there's what a season and a half left. Is it, or are both these seasons short? Yeah, I think that. Well, I think that. I can't remember if this one's a ten. I think this one's a ten. I think this one's a ten. The next one's a six. Or yeah, I like think that that's what they were saying. That's an awful lot of storyline to wrap up in those hours. And my only concern is that they're going to rush it. Yeah. Well, it's just going to be one huge war, and yeah. And hopefully the White Walkers win, and just to, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> after all this, like it's just the Sorry White guys. Walkers <laughs> just <laughs> rule the world. That would be so rad. FYI, Game of Thrones. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, 
yeah, hopefully uh, you we'll, we'll we'll be back with some more opinions on uh, GOT in the future. Um, so you know, be caught up when you listen to the podcast. Yep. Uh, anything else, Jim? All right, have a good weekend, everybody.